You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn them to 1 Corinthians 14. I'm just going to read one verse and kind of set up where we're going to be journeying over the next few uh, maybe month, few weeks at least, as a as a community. And uh, it's First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse forty. It's the last verse of that chapter. And in the context, Paul is writing to a Corinthian church that's having uh, a lot of movement of the Spirit, but it's also really, really messy. And he's trying to. Uh, he, he's finished chapters twelve. Uh, 13, 14 are him correcting uh, and trying to pastor uh, the spiritual culture of this church, uh, if you will. And he ends it by saying uh, in verse 40, all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And I think we've all heard this verse before if we've been around the church, most likely. And I think it's often a misinterpreted, misapplied verse because uh, we've looked at that from a human perspective as kind of a band-aid that we can put on things and to justify a lot of control in the name of leadership. Does that make sense? So we're like, oh, no, it needs to be orderly. It needs to be safe. It needs to be controlled. And AKA, it becomes I should know every single thing that's going to happen and everything that I should expect that should happen in the life of church. And that sounds pretty boring if you ask me. Amen? Right? And it's also unbiblical because when we look at the life of Jesus, we never know what to expect. We just know what it's going to be like. We knew he was good. We didn't really know what he was going to do. Right? Just ask Peter. They didn't know, and the disciples, they didn't know he was going to walk on the water. You know, and all throughout scripture, we don't know what God's going to do. We just know what he's like. He's always good. He's unfailingly good. He's consistently good, but we never know what he's going to do next. So I just want to propose that when Paul writes this, all things must done orderly and in a properly manner, he's not speaking from a human perspective. He's speaking about from a heavenly perspective that when God looks upon the life of the church, it should be done according to his order and in, in proper in his eyes, which can be very different than from our eyes, right? And the fundamental issue I believe Paul's trying to bring to is one of lordship. And I'm going to really not probably preach the message you'd expect after starting this verse tonight, but I'm going to talk about lordship and, and, and specifically about the issue of authority and how God puts authority upon the church to create a culture within the church where people learn to come under his authority so that then they can exercise his authority in influencing the culture of our world, okay? And as we learn as a church to come under his leadership, his authority, because he's granted it to create communities called the church, right? as, we, as we learn what he's doing in the church environment that we have been called to, to the church family that we're serving, we actually come under authority and then we are positioned to be entrusted with God's authority so that we can bring his kingdom to culture. So what happens on a Sunday and, and what we're learning to do when we gather together is of utmost significance for what's going to take place the rest of our lives out there. 
This is a training ground. It's an equipping space where we're to come. His presence comes in a unique way as we corporately gather. He, he, he falls upon us, and he's expressing his lordship in the life of the church. He's trying to accomplish and shape and disciple us, and, and, and we're learning in these corporate environments how to, to come under the leadership of Jesus, and that has great consequence for how we'll then relate to God out there. Does this make sense? So I want to talk about authority, and I want to talk about how authority is used to create culture and contextualize that into riverhouse culture and why that matters for you and I. Okay? you like, huh? That's yes. So authority, I'm just going to jump in. Uh, authority is defined, if you're going to look up like Merriam-Webster, dictionary, it would, uh, it, it's this. It's power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. And another definition is that it's a convincing force. Right? So authority is the power to influence or command thought, opinions, or behavior, and it's a convincing force. Okay? So authority is derived from God and has the power, right? It's leadership. John Maxwell defines leadership as influence. So when someone has authority upon them, they're actually influencing. It's a convincing force, right? Authority is powerful. Authority is actually necessary for creating the kingdom, for leading people. God's authority is used to create God's kingdom because the kingdom is actually a realm of God's authority. It's the king's Dominion. It's where he has authority. Are we awake in here tonight? Okay. So God has given us authority. Authority is very powerful because it creates movement. It creates mo- momentum. Wherever authority is exercised, it, because it's a convincing force, people will, will, will be influenced by that authority and they'll come under alignment and it will create a lot of momentum. We've seen this before, right? We see people, influencers is what we call them in culture today. They've been, they have authority and they're exercising in a way that there's just momentum. What they do, how they dress influences people. What they say influences people. How they operate, people follow them, right? They have great authority. And this is in the world, this is in the church, this is just the reality of human leadership and human influence. Authority will create momentum. Authority will also create controversy and commotion. Why? Because authority, it's the, it influences you. It commands opinion, thoughts, and then behaviors. And so it removes the middle ground when you, when you encounter it. When you confront authority, you only have two choices. You either are influenced by it and you come under it, or you reject it. All right. Man, you guys were worshiping. You're so loud. And now you're just quiet. Okay. Okay. I'm working with you. Jesus taught with authority, right? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what does it say? The people marveled at the teachings of Jesus because he didn't teach like the scribes and the other teachers. He taught with authority. There was this convincing force that, 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 that was upon him. He created movement. He created momentum. But he also created commotion because some people didn't want to come under that influence. 
Some people didn't like his teaching. He offended. He, he didn't make sense. People didn't understand him. But he had authority. And people marveled at it. They were aware. This man has authority. There's something about when he speaks, when he acts, when he moves, it influences. People start gathering to the wilderness to follow him because the man had authority on him from God to build the kingdom. Right? Authority. So authority is confrontational. And, and in this confrontation, there's two responses. Like I said, we can come under the authority or we can reject. We have to refuse it. But you have to do something when you encounter God's authority. Right? He is the father of all. He has all authority. And then he chooses it. He, he rested upon different people in the church. That's how he builds the church. Right? And we, we, there's only two responses we can do to it. And this can create a, a, a dichotomy. We have to learn what to do with this. And Jesus spends, uh, he, he addresses directly mainly two groups of people throughout his ministry. Right, so he addresses his disciples directly, and he also addresses the Pharisees directly quite frequently. Right? Have you read the Gospels? If you haven't, you should. I'll preach on that next week, but we're talking about authority and culture tonight so that we can do all things orderly. You're like, how are you going to link this together? Anybody thought that yet? Just raise your hand. You're like, I have never heard 1 Corinthians 14 tied to this topic at all, right? But I think it's, it's expressly tied, and, and we're going to tie this together. Just, take, just go with me, okay? So the disciples and the Pharisees, these two groups of individuals, I'd like to propose to you, were equally offended by Jesus' teachings, equally did not understand what he was doing. He violated the things in their minds the same way. The Sabbath, uh, he, they, he violated. There was, there was no difference in their background. They had Jewish understanding. Perhaps the Pharisees knew a little bit more and they were more entrenched, but Jesus offended them both. They both had the same worldview that was very much offended. They both had the same ideas of the kingdom being this, you know, uh, this liberation from Rome. Right? They, had, they were equally offended, but their response to Jesus' teachings make all the difference. Right? Their response to Jesus' authority make all the difference for these two groups. Right? The disciples respond to Jesus' authority, the things that they don't understand, this convincing force, they respond with questions. The disciples ask questions. The questions lead them to discovering truth. And it says if you continue in the truth, the truth will set you free. It brings transformation to the disciples' life. So the disciples ask questions. It leads them to the truth, and the truth sets them free. They find liberation. They get changed. They come under the authority of the kingdom, and we see them eventually exercising the authority of the kingdom in a way that was powerful and transformative to the world. The Pharisees, right, they're, they're, they don't, they're confronted with the authority of Jesus. What do they do? They start making assumptions. I, I know what he's doing. In fact, I know he has a demon. And they start forming judgments from those assumptions. And those judgments produce spiritual death of all kinds. So the disciples ask questions. The Pharisees form judgments. And we see, we see the difference here. There was one Pharisee that asked questions. His name was Nicodemus. He was scared. He came to Jesus by night, but he asked him these questions. You come from God. He starts asking these questions. They have this conversation, discourse about being born again, being led by the Spirit. It was Nicodemus. We see when Jesus gets crucified, guess who goes to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus? Joseph, the man who had the tomb, 
and Nicodemus the Pharisee. Because Nicodemus asked questions, he became a disciple because it led him to the truth. Not immediately, but eventually. Because you've got to continue in the truth. You've got to seek to understand. So this is really important. Are we going to be filled with curiosity when we're confronted with authority and things that we might not understand? Or are we going to respond with assumptions and judgments? Right? Because we're living in the world today where the norm is character assassination. Oh, we got information. That person made this post on Facebook or that person quoted this person. And that means I know everything you believe and everything you meant. And I actually know your heart and I can judge you. That, that's, that's the norm of this world that we live in. It's a character assassination culture where we, because we, are, we have access to so much information, we think that we can do our research to figure out what someone meant, said, did, and we don't ever have to actually go ask them questions of what they meant when they said this. The disciples went to the source, asked questions. They found answers that liberated them. The Pharisees went and did their own research which was their justification, and this is often what we do when we withdraw, when I'm confronted with authority or something that I don't understand, and I withdraw to go find the information, I'm just looking to justify my insecurity, my fear, my offense, I form an argument, I form judgment, it creates death. Anybody convicted? This is the world we live in, and this is really important because we're called to be disciples, right? And we need to be people. We're also called to live and, and live and exercise with the authority of God on our lives, right? And I'm, I'm going to show why this matters for our church. But I'm trying to build the, the, the context here that we're going to engage with, right? Authority is something that is looked at culturally with skepticism in the world that we're living in today. Uh, we're, we're either in a postmodern age or a post-postmodern age, depending on who you're talking to. And what characterizes, one of the fundamental characterizations of this postmodern, this shift from modernity into postmodernity, is that there, there was a recoil from authority because of all the abuses of institutional authority. Right? Meaning people that were in institutional power, whether it was the church, whether it was culture, unfortunately the abuses were the same in both. But there was, there was so much abuse that there was this recoil, and now there's this, this skepticism that defines the culture we live in. It's this, it's this skepticism towards authority. And it's out of woundedness, right? It's not, it's not unconstituted in that there were things done in the name of authority and leadership, right? And, and we're trying to define, even culturally speaking, there are um, masters, MBAs popping up all over the United States of America, literally on, it's, it's a masters in servant leadership, right? So we're, we're, we're figuring out, okay, and literally there's secular, secular institutions that are looking at Jesus strictly from a leadership standpoint because they're like, man, his word's actually makes sense, you know? You don't, you don't exercise, you don't lord it over people, which is what was taking place. But, but the, the wound still remains, and there's this skepticism because people have, you know, we've all felt the pain of being used by someone's self-ambition, right? And, then, and the people that were given authority, which is to protect and empower, actually, I was looked at like a ladder, and they climbed upon me, right? Nobody likes that feeling, 
And so there's this self-protection, this pride that we've actually justified as a culture to protect myself from being hurt by authority. But what we don't realize is we've actually severed ourselves from, from being able to receive the authority that we were created for. Because authority doesn't come from man fundamentally. It comes from God. And God has created you and me to be people that can walk under authority, who can then exercise authority. That's like in, uh, in, in Matthew 8. I'm kind of all over my notes. It's Matthew 10. It's the Roman centurion. Jesus marvels. Wow, this, is, this man has great faith. He understood authority. He recognized when he saw Jesus, he said, I see a man who's under authority. Because in the same way as me, being a Roman centurion, it's because I'm under the authority of Caesar that I have power that when I speak something, it, it, it has to be accomplished because, I, because authority flows downward. Does this make sense? So he equates it into in Jesus, and he recognizes that is a man under authority who is then subsequently offering, operating in authority. Right? And so because of the world we're living in, that with this, this woundedness that's justified, this self-protection, we, 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 we've got, we can't stay here. God's trying to father us in, in, into a safe place of, of submitting to Jesus as Lord. Right? So why I started this with 1 Corinthians, all things must done properly and in an orderly matter. There's usually two interpretations where people look at that. The charismatics read that verse and they're like, No, no, like, I don't know what that means. Let's just, let's go to chapter 15, right? And then the conservatives use that one to be like, no, anything that's borderline feels passionate or out of control, that's not orderly. You know what I'm talking about? Right, and, and, and there's this, it's, there's this, we've looked at it and we've looked at church as it's either gotta be free in the spirit which means anything can happen, and if you try to pastor anything, you are a controlling person and a controlling leader. Or it's got to be so over, overly controlled that nothing, you'll, you won't be surprised for 20 years because you could guess exactly what church would look like any Sunday for the next 15 years. There just might be more flowers on Easter You see what I'm saying? What I would like to argue is that we haven't had an adequate understanding of Jesus as Lord, as Jesus as the one who is exerting authority over the church. Meaning this, free in the spirit is only, it's only free in the context of submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. So when we say here at Riverhouse, we're trying to create a church that is free, but also extremely safe. The only way that's possible is if we as a church are submitted under the authority of Jesus Christ. Individually and corporately, we have submitted to him. And he, not, not only is it not, it's, it's so much far beyond control. It's literally what I am so influenceable by you. You, you, have, you have permission to shape and speak and, and pull me back and push me out. You are Lord. Right, so is it, is it orderly and in a proper manner? Absolutely. But it's according to his order and what he thinks is, pro is proper. Right, and it's under, it's under the yoke of Jesus, under his lordship, that we find uh, the safety we need. Right, so the, the unfortunate truth is that because authority 
as all the abuses of authority, we've almost lost what models of healthy authority means and what it actually looks like. And I'm just going to go through a couple principles here uh, out of Scripture um, to just demonstrate a few kind of fundamental truths before I build on. Right? And the first is this, is that in the kingdom, authority is received from God. It is not taken from men. Right? This is something I see. Uh, um, I, I have conversations sometimes that grieve my heart because people come, and because I'm in a position of authority, I see that, that because there's not an understanding that authority is from God, I feel sometimes like, oh, they're wanting me to give them authority to do something that I don't have to give. Because authority doesn't come from me. I've received authority from him, but I can't give it because I'm, I'm under authority. I can only do and give what, what I see him calling me to do and give. Does this make sense? But it's because culturally speaking, we, we've seen authority as something that you can take. Oh, well, that person, I, they just got on there, and there's an algorithm on Instagram that if you post enough and do enough, da, 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 you can build a platform, and then you can get a following, and then you can make millions. I literally heard someone one time, they were encouraged, like, dude, you need to get on social media. One good video, you could have millions of followers. Don't you see? No, 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 no. I can't take authority. I can't take influence. I can't create it. It's given from God. right? In John chapter 3, you can study this on your own. John the Baptist, he had authority from God, and his authority was to, it was to baptize people and get them ready to recognize the Messiah. So when, when Jesus came and he recognizes Jesus, he speaks, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. John actually began to decrease in authority from that point. And John's disciples come to him in John chapter 3, and they say, Jesus, the one you baptized, everyone's now going to him. And the disciples, they're distraught, right? Why is everyone going to his ministry now and, and not to what this thing we had going? And John says, no one can receive anything unless it was given to him from God. He's actually discipling his disciples, and he says, he must increase, I must decrease. Right, this is a unique situation because John's symbolic of the Old Testament. But John recognized he was a man under authority, and he was, he was showing his disciples, no, no, no. Jesus wouldn't have this following. Jesus wouldn't have this influence. Jesus wouldn't have this authority, this convincing force on his life, unless it had been given to him from God. Meaning this. When we use woundedness to justify pulling away from authority that God has placed on, on, a, on someone, we're actually, we're not rejecting the person. We're rejecting God. We're rejecting his authority. Right? And that's why we've got we've to allow God to reshape and bring us under his authority. All right, in, in the kingdom, so, so that's the first. In the kingdom, authority is received from God. It's not taken from men. In the kingdom, authority is given to promote others, not yourself. All right, in, in Mark 10, I'm going to read this one because I think it's significant. This is Jesus, right? So the context is that James and John just came and they asked for the, the special seats in heaven. Okay? Asked to be great. Hearing this, this is Mark 10, verse 41. The other 10 begin to feel indignant with James and John. Anybody been there before? Right? You, you, 
you watch people operating in self-promotion and you get offended. Like, ooh, I need to put them in their place. You don't have to worry about them. God's really good at that. <laughs> Trust me, I tried a few times. It didn't work. <laughs> Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Say that. Lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So authority is not given to create your own platform or to secure your own dominion of leadership. Right? Authority is given to you from God to serve those that you're called to lead. And the way you serve them is that authority, you have the ability to empower them and you also have the, the, the responsibility to protect them. And when we're operating in, in, in maturity and in our identity with authority, we create a womb with that. We, we empower from underneath and we protect from above and we create a, a womb where leaders can maturate and grow and then ultimately be released. But that takes a lot of maturity and that takes an adequate understanding of why we've been given authority in the first place. It's not to lord it over people. It's actually to empower people and make them better than you. Right? And that's a, that's a great, like, tagline. You know, I say that, like, and, and that's the question God often presents before me in leadership. Will you live and give yourself and serve them to make them better than you? It sounds like, yeah, that is a crucifying statement. Are you willing to serve and give yourself and then embrace obscurity as someone else shines? You know, are, are, you, are you really willing to? Are you really willing to just, with no thought of yourself, give yourself and embrace obscurity, if that's what it means, to allow other people to outlive and outshine you? Right? That's, it's not a self-deprecating because God takes care of yourself. But what it takes is you can't be an orphan is what I'm trying to get to. That that sentiment, it will destroy any orphan mindset in you because an orphan's always wondering, what about me? What about me? I gotta protect mine. I gotta protect mine. Right? And so when orphans start operating in authority, guess what they do? They use it to protect their own, what I've got. Right? When you operate in as a son, you have to be so sure in who you are in sonship that I'm so loved, significant, provided for, cared for, that I can give of myself completely to see other people shine and I can give and care and provide for. That's the heart of a father. That's the heart of a mother. That's the heart of God. That's the purpose of authority. So authority is a responsibility that is not to be treaded upon lightly. And it is why self-promotion makes absolutely no sense. It's why we would never want to take authority for ourselves that has not been given because it will destroy us. It will destroy us at, the, at a deep level. It will mess up our development process if we take it too soon. It's, it's dangerous if we take it too soon. You know that you are operating uh, with what you're using authority correctly Right, is when, when other people step into things that, you know, that you'd want to step into, you can celebrate them. You, know, you can honor them. Right? There's litmus tests where you, 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 have to, you have to prove this with actions. You have to, 
you know, it's, it's not enough to just say it. We have to live it. It has to be incarnationless. Amen? Right, and lastly, in the kingdom, the path to operating in authority is submission, not independence or rebellion. And this, again, is the centurion. Right? It's, it's the path. It's actually, right, we can be given authority by God, but we actually don't know how to use it until we've come under authority. It's under authority that actually is the activating experience that teaches us how to use authority, right? And so a covering, you know, when we're covered through community by people in relationship, that's, that's what we were created to do, you know. And you look at Joseph, he, he had authority as a young man. He was not able to use it until he'd gone through his process, coming under Potiphar, coming under the prison guard. You look at Moses, he had authority, and he used it and he killed somebody. Right, that's why it's dangerous. And it was not until he went under the authority, he served his father-in-law in the wilderness that he was, he was positioned by God. You look at David, he had authority, but he was under the, Lord, the leadership of Saul. And he could have taken it into his own hand. Multiple times he had opportunity to exalt himself. He didn't. Right? It was under authority that was his pathway to promotion. You know, and I, I, a couple of weeks ago when I preached, I, I've, the more that I find myself in, in leadership, and even as as authority has increased on me in, in leading uh, the Riverhouse community, I've actually, a longing within me for covering grows and grows and grows. And I actually search more and more ways that, I can, that we can uh, bring safety to this community. And, you know, with the board, and, you know, I, that's an organizational covering, which is ultimately, right, ultimately it goes up, you have to be under God. But even that, that's why it's a, it's a council, right? And there's five, six people uh, that are that are discerning God together because I don't like making decisions in independence. Right? I, I actually like I have an anxiety about making decisions in independence. I love the safety that comes when I have invited people into my pro- processing because there's something about that, that that it's a safety and it's a covering, right? And so independence has no place. It's under authority. The more under under authority, submission is the pathway to promotion in the kingdom. Right, Korah uh, was a, a, a Levite, and Moses had authority. Right, this is a beautiful story of authority. Moses has authority by God. He literally, you know, like let him through the the water. It split. You know, you'd think you'd be like, yeah, he's the man, right? But no, Korah. They get in there, and 250 of the elders of Israel, and it's and it's Levites. So these are priests. They come and they challenge Moses, and they said, "You've gone too far." You and Aaron, who do you think you are to exalt yourselves above us? They challenged the authority that God had distributed sovereignly upon Moses and Aaron. And, you know, if you read the story, God deals very harshly uh, with Korah. God does not have, he has a distaste for rebellion and pride. He will humble pride, right? He is a kind, gentle God. And it is because he is so merciful and so loving that he does not tolerate independence and rebellion. Right? He, he, he is a God, he, he, is a, he, he flows through authority. And this is the beautiful thing, though. It's God that deals with these things in all of us. If you look at Moses' response, and this is probably another litmus test moment, Moses doesn't, like, get all hurt. How could you? How could you? I just led you through the Dead Sea. I just took you out of Egypt. He doesn't start looking to all his accolades to prove his authority to them. He actually withdraws and allows God to say, hey, this was given to me from God, so it's like, you want it, you can kind of have it if you want, but you can't because he gave it to me, and he'll prove that. 
right? There, that's part of when we take it for ourselves, you, you're always, it's always going to be about, you're going to be so offended. Oh, my gosh. Don't you know I'm a good leader, you know? It's like if, it, if you took it, right? That's, you see what I'm saying? Right, so the, we, we can go more into this, but, and if you want more conversation around this, you know, reach out, please, ask questions, be a disciple. Um, but I'm, I want to segue here is, okay, so God gives authority, but I want to segue and contextualize this to Riverhouse. All right, so at the end of the day, at any church that we go to around the block, right, God has entrusted authority to an individual and then ultimately a group of an individuals to actually create a culture of, called a church, Right, it's a church of Jesus Christ, and every church has a different culture right? because it's a different leader that's actually been received a vision from God, received a blueprint, like Moses received a blueprint on the mountain to create something according to the pattern that was given. Does this make sense? So God spoke to me, gave me a blueprint to create a church. It's now been adopted and integrated into many different voices. There's been many different shapers and influencers on the culture of this church. So I by no means say uh, this is all like my creation, me and God's thing. It's not. This is so much bigger than me or any person. This is a community and God that is birthing something called Riverhouse. We're a people movement, right? And I mean that seriously. That's not just pretense, Right? But the reality is that, that we have received authority to create a culture. And I'm just going to give you like a brief rundown of our culture. Most of you probably heard this. Right? But prayer, family, mission. We're a community of people that are going to embody prayer, family, and mission. And we do this through primarily two spaces. We have our corporate space, which most of the time is Sunday nights. Sometimes we have conferences like the Now Gathering or things like Journey to Wholeness. But we have these corporate spaces. Right? It's like a weekly rhythm. And then we have revival groups. And these are where we do family and life and all these other things, right? So these, these, these two spaces where we're cultivating prayer, family, and mission, and there's different purposes assigned to these spaces. This sound familiar to people? Right? So that's kind of what we do. That's the language we use. But then what's harder to describe is that we also have a spiritual culture we've created, right? Which is what we experience when we worship. It's the type of preaching. It's how we communicate the word. It's how often we do communion. It's, it's how we see the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the charismata being used, right? There's so many things that go into the spiritual culture of this church, right? And we all are trying to describe it. It's like we're kind of touching it. You know, it's like that thing where blind people are touching different sides of an elephant. And you're like, no, it feels like, you know, long. And there's this little bendy thing. It's a tail. I don't know. It's like, well, I feel this really sharp thing. It's like a, it's like really sharp, right? Right. So like we can't see it because we only see in part, but we're all, we're touching different parts. And over the last years, we've been defining slowly through, through conversation, what this spiritual culture is that God's creating. Does this make sense? So this is the thing that is not often talked about in church. I've never heard any pastor talk about this in a message. That doesn't mean they don't. That just means I haven't heard them, right? But the spiritual culture is not something that just happens on a Sunday, right? What, what we experience on a Sunday, and, and, and I don't expect everyone to know this, but this is what myself and uh, many people on the staff, Jordan and the board and leaders have, have intentionally crafted through literally hundreds of hours of corporate gatherings, prayer, conversations, conflict, things that happen that make us uncomfortable, things that we celebrate, God sovereignly moving. I couldn't even begin to describe to you all the intentionality that goes in, the, the theological application, the biblical study that goes into to shaping what we believe God has given us authority to create in the spiritual culture of Riverhouse. Does this make sense? 
Right? So God has given us this authority to create a culture that he's going to do something specific through. And, and every church has its own culture. So this is not unique to Riverhouse. I'm just trying to articulate there is so much intentionality and passion that gets woven into what happens on Riverhouse on any given meeting. And the, the amazing thing is that it's still evolving. It is still growing. Right? We're a body. We're a living organism. It's always growing. It's maturing. There's so much nuance. There's new things happening. As new people come into the community, you shift the culture because we're all offering something. When we come and worship God and give of ourselves, our heart, our mind, our soul, and strength, we are actually offering ourselves to be knit into the fabric of something though we can't see with our eyes. We're all experiencing week after week after week after week. Right? I know it because we're not, we're not out marketing to say, hey, come to church. God is he's drawing families and individuals and many of you. You all have a story of why God's drawn you here. It's because he's trying to knit your heart into the DNA of what's being created here. Because we're the church. We all have a part. Right? I feel one of my roles is actually just to define what God's doing for you all. Mine's not more important. This is just my role. You have your role. We all have a part to play, truly in creating the culture of this house. And it's authority that has given to us, right? So culture is powerful, right? Culture is a buzzword that there's all types of literature around today and where there's a recognition that it's powerful. It, it, you might not even be aware of it, but it's influencing our appetites, our behaviors, our thoughts, and our opinions, right? Culture has a very powerful effect on human beings. And because it's powerful, it can also be very dangerous if you don't understand it. Right? Because culture is so powerful, it has the potential to be very dangerous. And I want to define what I mean by dangerous. Right? If we don't understand why we do the things we do, we will be tempted to form a religion around it. Because Riverhouse culture is powerful, right? Would you agree with that? Would you agree that our worship culture is powerful? Would you agree, you know, that my preaching is just so powerful? I'm joking. I'm joking, okay? Right? Would you agree the communities of this church is powerful? That the people of this church is powerful? That every time we gather together, it's, it's significant and it's powerful? We need to understand that, yes, it is powerful, but, but this is a unique expression that God's creating a culture because there's intentionality into every space that we're gathering in. But we have to understand as a church, why are we doing these things? Why are we doing church this way? Because if we don't, we're tempted to start worshiping the culture and not the one who's creating the culture. And this, this will work for a while, right? This will work for a while, but then God, who's always doing a new thing, starts doing a new thing. And if I wasn't connected to him in the midst of the culture, He'll start trying to change the culture, but I'm still worshiping the culture that he's not doing anymore. Right? We see this in the holiness movement. So much of the holiness movement was birthed in inner city America. Inner city with, with drug addicts and prostitutes and, and people that were experiencing the holiness of God. And out of love, they started saying, oh, no, we, we can't have alcohol in our communities. We can't, we can't have things like dancing in our communities. Because people that were coming into the church had no grid to be able to find things like alcohol and dancing. Does that make sense? Those things were their stumbling blocks. And so out of love, God created a culture that was safe for the people that were coming into it. 
right? Then as the holiness movement, it started moving from inner city into more of the suburban class. And this happened over decades. They didn't change the culture, right? And so then they started creating these, these, um, these codes, these religious codes around things that you look at now and you're saying, I don't know how you got that from the Bible, Right? And the reality is that there were principles that God was, was sovereignly instilling at a certain time. It was a culture that was powerful and God was moving. Right? But if you're disconnected from the creator of the culture, when he starts wanting to bring more nuance and, re and revelation and biblical insight and theological application to create a space, right? if you're, you're still stuck worshiping and then you start judging it. Does this make sense? Right, there, there's also, so that's in the holiness side, the conservative side of things. There's a phenomena called the routinization of the charismata that has happened in most of these more uh, charismatic revivalistic meetings. And, and, and this is what it means. It means because the Holy Spirit started moving in a certain way, people started having manifestations in a certain way. But then over time, God started wanting to change the culture. But these became the routine experiences, the cultural icons of what it meant to encounter God and be spiritual. So then people are trying to create the same experiences. Now they're disconnected from the actual authentic moves of the spirit, right? It just became routine, right? So the point I'm trying to make here is what's happening at Riverhouse, I love it. I love how we're doing things. But God's going to continue to change things because he doesn't want us to just fall in love with our routine so that we have a sense of control. He wants us to, we, and, and the only way we do this is we have to come into understanding of why he's doing the things he's doing. Because at any given time when God's moving, there's going to be things that are, that are consoling us, that are affirming us, that are making us, inspiring us. And he's also going to be disturbing us and offending us. We see this with the disciples. He's like, oh my gosh, Peter, you're the rock. You know, he's, he's speaking these words. He's healing the sick. He's commissioning them out to go preach the gospel and cast out demons and, raise the, and heal the sick. This is before the cross. He's, he's inspiring them. But then he's also saying things like, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's offending them. He's saying, yeah, I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. He's offending them. Right? He offended the disciples. He offended the Pharisees. But how do you overcome offense? How do, how do you come to understand the culture and what God's doing? Questions. You ask questions. You have to be curious. Not, not, not full of assumption and judgment. So if we're to mature as a community... Right? And if we're to be a church that embodies, I believe, the heart of what Paul's communicating in 1 Corinthians 14, orderly and done properly, right? we, we actually have to be a community that expects, okay, there's going to be parts of what happens in church that might disturb me, that might offend me, that might, I might not have a grid for, I might not understand God might move. The Spirit might move in a way that I don't understand. That would be pretty normal because we don't understand God completely. Right? And there's also going to be things that make my heart come alive and make me know He's safe and He's kind and He's gentle and He's here. We have to expect both. Right? And, and here we got to rejoice and celebrate these things. And here we got to ask a lot of questions. But I'm going to be honest, 
One of the things that discourages me sometimes is that I see people, people experience some sort of an offense, and I hear about it third person from them telling somebody I'm offended and da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, why didn't you ask questions? There's so much intentionality and thought and biblical application that's being woven into this culture. Ask questions and don't stop till you get your answers. Don't assume. Don't, right? Does this make sense? We got to ask questions. All right, I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to hurry up. Right? Jesus offended them on the Sabbath. He offended them with John 6 teaching, eat my flesh. He offended them when he said the Roman centurion had more faith than all of Israel. He offended them. He actually used the Syrophoenician woman who he called a dog. And she still got the grace. She said, I don't care. I'm hungry. To expose their inability to get through offense. As I believe what he's doing. Right? So he's doing this because he's discipling them. Right? So all this to say, we're going to spend a few weeks... And I'm, I'm going to begin, start some pastoral conversations about why we do the things we do here. And, and, this is, and then we're going to close ministry time the next few weeks that I minister. Uh, ministry time is actually going to be a question and answer time. And we're going to create a really safe place for us to grow as disciples and to ask honest questions and to wrestle with things. And, and, and does this make sense? Right? We're going to model this. I really want this to be instilled into our culture. Uh, freedom and submission go hand in hand. I want this to be a place where we are so free to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and so safe because we are so submitted under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Right? And the goal, my goal, is that we will all understand how God's moving in our culture because I, as your pastor, need you to help me pastor the people that are still going to be coming in. I can't pastor all of us, but I can instill principles and say, this is what God's doing. This is the culture we're creating. So that as new young believers, unbelievers come into our community and they have conversations with you, you can lead them to the truth. You, you can give them space to ask questions. You can point them to people that they need to go to their questions with. You can make it safe for people to have honest, hard questions and to be curious instead of just feeding what we think we should think. And what, what people, does this make sense? Right? This is the way we become healthy. This is the way we become mature. So if we can all understand how God's moving here, we can come under his authority. And if we can come under his authority in the house of God, we will be positioned to exercise authority in the city that God is wanting to transform. He will give that convincing force to us as a people. He will activate our leadership qualities and abilities so that we can serve our city equipped with God's authority instead of void of it. We want to have heaven's order in our church. All things done order and properly according to heaven. Not according to my preferences or your preferences, but according to heaven as he is exercising his authority in our community. I know this is a heavy topic. Are you with me? All right. This is, I know we're like basically almost done. So I'm just going to close. But this is, there, there's a group of people specifically, I have a heart for you, is that you've been wounded by the church. You've been wounded by authority. Um, we have a ministry team that's going to be up here. And uh, as we close, I'm just going to ask um, 
that, that I'm going I'm to pray for you specifically. I don't need you to reveal yourself, but we also have a ministry time, so we want to pray for you. And I believe that God wants to do a work, and it's not because I'm infallible. It's not why I'm up here, it's, but it's because he's a good father, and we can entrust our hearts to him and come under his leadership. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you that you are doing a work in our community. I thank you that you are pastoring us and doing a people of submission and freedom, that you're empowering us, God, and you're also shaping us into the disciples that we were created to be. God, I lift up those in this community that have been hurt by, by a spiritual authority in their past, God, and I pray that you will redeem it, that this will no longer be a, 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 a stumbling block, this will no longer be a stronghold, God, that what happened happened, God, but you restore all things and you make all things new, and so God, I just, my heart is tender towards these individuals, and I pray, God, that that, that healing will come straight from you, and that, Father God, over these next weeks, that you will encounter them again and again, and you will ensure them that they are safe, that they are loved, God, and that you can be trusted with their hearts. God, we want to be a people under your authority, and so I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you're beginning conversations, God, and that you're provoking questions. Even tonight, I pray that you continue to provoke questions that will lead us to the truth, that will bring the transformation, healing, everything we need to be disciples under authority so that you can use us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.